basically, I, I thought of you as someone who always comes across as very positive. Yeah. And, and always manages to find something to say to me to make me think, oh, he's right. Yeah, no, I, I'll go on. <laughs> I always try and be positive, except this morning when I was coming to you to, to, to come to my office and I've got a coffee in my bag and I'm getting in my car and I spilt the entire cup of coffee onto my seat. And I'm like, I just the F words that came out of my mouth just as my neighbor came out and he and he said, uh, I said, I've just spilt my coffee everywhere. He went, Did it have milk in it? I went, No. He went, Well, that's something. And I thought, yeah, okay, well, that is something. I'll take that. That's the silver lane in there, <laughs> that isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So what, 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 what's his logic there? The milk won't stink or something? Or? The milk won't stink. The milk's not going to go off. Yeah, so at least, at least it's not as bad as if there was milk in the coffee. Yeah. That's a great way of putting a positive spin on it. Yeah. <laughs> on a on a on daily incident. I love yes. it. I love it. Well, that's why you get you. So anyway, I'm, I, I'm here today with James Ashford from Go Proposal. James is a number one selling author and um, someone who I know I can always speak to and get a lift if I need it. How are you doing today, James? Yes, great. Thank you. Really good. Excellent. Um, I, I, I love that little coffee story we've just shared. And if I can, if I can leave that in, I will. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so James, the, the, the reason I've asked you on is, as everyone can see when you're speaking here, you've always got a smile on your face. Is that something that comes naturally or do you have to work on that? No, I think it's, it comes naturally. Like my default position is that I'm just happy to be on planet Earth today and above ground. Like that, that's it. That's my starting point. Every day, genuinely, every day, Martin, when my feet are the floor, I say thank you. My first, that's the first thing I do. Thank you. I'm here. My kids are here. Everyone's well. And uh, so I'm just winning from the start. That is, that is genuinely my default position. Do, do you mean literally when you get out of bed? thank you or do you just mean you're just you're you are no literally as my feet hit the floor thank you that's the first thing that I will say in my head that I am here that I'm above ground that I have my health I'm in a house I have a few quid in my pocket I've got a car on the drive my kids are sleeping soundly in the bed like I'm absolutely winning at life and you know despite what's going on in the world there is not a better time to be on planet earth with everything that we have at our disposal look at us we're chatting now via yeah. video calls i remember when i was young on blue peter them showing this new phone that you can be able to have a video and you can be able to see the other person on the the other side of it but they had to buy the same handset as you and and it was like this amazing thing and here we are now like there's just so there's so much to be grateful for there's so many amazing things that we have do you, do you, do you, it's interesting you say that though, James, but do you find that this staggering breadth of opportunity and accessibility can actually be overwhelming as well? In what sense? Well, just because, you know, a lot of people say quite a lot that there's never been a better time. I agree with you on that, by the way. You know, the world has never been better on pretty much any measure, metric that you measure. But do you think, I mean, if you if you were a, 15 year old sitting now thinking a couple of years from now I'm going to think about what I'm going to do forever do you, do you think that they see that as a staggering opportunity or what the hell do I do there's too much too many choices almost yeah I always find it interesting like watching my son and my kids interacting with technology so this morning when I went to say goodbye and he's playing Fortnite he's got Fortnite on one screen and he's watching Modern Family on another one and he's got WhatsApp open on his phone. He's got four of his mates there and they're all 
chatting away and stuff like that. And that's just how they interact. That's how they engage. And I think as older parents, Martin, we look at our kids like, come on, get off your phone, come and interact with us socially. And they're like looking at us like, I am interacting socially. Like what, what do you not get about my world? And yeah. I think they fully grasp that and you, you, pr probably better than us. So I don't think they're overwhelmed with it necessarily because I think they were born with it, you, you know. Like I'll ask my son, like we'll, we'll be doing a homework question and he'll just turn to Alexa and go, Alexa, and he'll just shout the answer, ask the question to Alexa. And, and it still, it, it boggles my mind to think, I didn't think of that. Like he, he doesn't think twice about reaching out to a piece of technology to ask you something. He doesn't even bother typing it in. If he's searching for something on YouTube, he doesn't even type it in. He'll just press the, the speaky diction thing and talk it in. And yeah. but that makes so much sense. Why would you bother? And me and you are sat there doing this. So I, I don't think they're overwhelmed. I think we're probably overwhelmed for them, but I think it's fine for them. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm like pulling my phone out of my pocket thinking, how do you spell guacamole? And, he, yeah. and they, they've just asked, they don't care how it's spelled and they've got their yeah. answer before I've even like opened the browser. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And, and actually, an interview I was doing with Chris Pattinson on the last episode, he, 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 he said that he'd given up resisting telling his kids not to have too much tech because it's unavoidable. Yeah. If you've got a kid that hasn't used tech, yeah. They're going to stand out and be the one who doesn't know how to do stuff going forward. 100%. And, you know, you've you got to get it right. Yesterday was my wife's birthday and we went to a place called Paddley Gorge in the Peak District. And there was no phones. You know, we didn't take, we, we paddled in water, climbed on rocks, ate ice cream, you know, did all those type of things. And then come back and then went out with some friends and stuff. And then today he's back on with tech. And that's cool. Like, you, you, you've got to have those breaks from it and stuff. But... 100% you've got you've got to encourage it like I want to I've been watching a lot of um, videos of CEOs and founders and, and various things recently and one of the, the big things they're talking about is coding like being a good at understanding coding I don't I I've got a tech business I understand the principles of coding but I couldn't code but I want to start teaching my 11 year old son I want him to start learning all about that because it will give him so much control and opportunity yeah um, it, it, it does it feels like in the future you're either going to be a consumer who uses other people's cool tech or you're going to be the one writing the tech and that I, th I think if you know the economy now shows us which end of that you'd rather be on you've got Elon um, you know Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos have all harnessed that tech and done unbelievable things whether you agree with the capitalism and the model and all that kind of stuff is irrelevant if you've got to give them some kind of um, kudos for for what they've done with tech, and yeah, why why would you resist that? It seems I think strange. so, but I, but I think you can also simplify tech as well, Martin. So tech could be making something out of wood or making something out of metal. Like this, it's technology, and and the the thing for me, and this could be good for us to springboard into our conversation. So, so my background is I'm a product designer. Uh, that's the only thing I'm actually qualified in, and um, so I always have the mindset of. What, what is the problem that I'm trying to solve? And can I find something or someone to help me to solve it? And if not, how do I create the thing to solve it? So we're talking about coding and, and technology there, which um, may be beyond people's thinking and imagination. But last week I was building a greenhouse for my mum because she couldn't get hold of a greenhouse anywhere or there were, there were crap or it was like a six month waiting list. I'm like, mum, I'll make you a greenhouse. So I 
just researched it and how to use wood and, and do things and stuff. And we, we designed the greenhouse and I wrote my dad in to help me and we, we, we built the greenhouse. Then it came to building the ridge along the roof and I needed a ridge uh, that would obviously protect it from water going in. But I also had these automatically opening windows, so I needed it to accommodate these windows. Well, there's nothing out there. So I found some copper and then devised something to bend the copper and then found someone who could weld it, then decided to rivet it together. Then I wanted this uh, a finial to go on the front. So I found someone on um, LinkedIn that I'd been connected with and I sent him a drawing through and he turned it for me and he sent it back to me. All those things, to my mind, is technology, bending metal. There's nothing as primitive as bending metal. But the, but the, the, the point is here, I, I need a solution for this. I need to make this happen. And I'm not going to accept that there isn't anything out there for me to solve this problem because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this out and I'm going to create it. And whether that's having a technological solution on, um, online or something like that, and I need something to produce a proposal automatically while you sat with the clients, or whether it's I need to figure a way to seal a, um, the, the, the roof of a, of a greenhouse, my mindset is I'm just going to solve this problem. There's a great quote. I'm not going to do it justice. And I always forget who said it. But it's, um, I have absolutely forgotten it. <laughs> I will re I will remember the quote as we go as we go through this. Um, I'm going to Google it now. I? I'm like, you have to edit this. Well, well, it, 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 it will come to you, Jim. It will just, come to just, me. Just just, just linking a couple of things together though. There, you 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 give an example of what is perhaps a generational style approach to something. What do you think a kid will do though? And do you think there's a danger that in the generation below us, so our kids are going to come through and go, well, I'll just ask Alexa. Yeah. And, but, but Alexa can't build that greenhouse, won't find the guy with the obscure skill, you know, 40 miles down the road in the next town. And that. Hey, do you think there's a danger then? Because it, some of these things are now so easy to do. Are they missing out on the satisfaction of solving a problem yourself? I think there's a danger if we rely on schools to give them what they our kids what they need because school schools is you know it's an old method of teaching our children and a lot of it is predicated on like me memorizing things like I had to learn about the San Andreas fault and the the year it was for my like geography GCSE exam or that knowledge is irrelevant now like even like mathematical knowledge or or how to write like does it really like when who writes you know, I, I write for myself, I write notes myself, but if I'm writing, I'll, when I wrote my book, I typed it on a, a computer, you know. So I, I think what's really important and what schools miss out on is, is teaching children how to interact with each other, that they don't teach empathy, that they don't teach an understanding, that they don't teach how to fundamentally solve problems and to figure ways, ways through things because people have just got different things at their disposal now. So, and, and, and my belief is i don't know how the education system will ever change like it's such a big long-standing archaic thing if we we can stand and whinge about it all day long but i think it's a very difficult model to change i think it's our responsibility as parents to teach our children those um problem solving abilities and not only children but anyone that we interact with in in go proposal martin one uh, challenge that i've had to overcome is that i'm naturally a problem solver so if there's an issue Right, I'll solve, 
I'm the first one to dive in. I'll figure it, it out. It's it's your your problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't worry. James will fix it. I, I'm, I've got this right. But in doing so, you deprive other people of their learning of how to solve problems and where to go to figure out the problems. So I back my way out of that. And I will now ask questions rather than offer statements and solutions to try and invite people to spark that problem solving ability within them. Because we, we all have it. We all have it within us. But it, it needs to be drawn out and nurtured and harnessed. And we need to create safe environments where people aren't going to be judged. That's one of the key things why people won't want to bring it out because they're fearful that if it goes wrong, they're going to be blamed and they're going to be judged. I don't care because I know that I can make another decision and I'll, I'll solve it then. And yeah. so there's so much involved with it, a lot of psychology and lots of different things involved with it, but we have to create those environments where people can take risks and risks and, and can have a go, you know? Do, 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 James, do you think this, this, um, do you think people have this in them that they're, that they're ready to give something a go? Or do you think that people, you know, you, you go on Instagram and everything looks perfect. And I know there's more and more people now sharing the, the things that didn't work and the, 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 the you know, I've, I've got a 13-year-old galaxy or a nice big car, but it's a 13-year-old galaxy. You know, I, I don't put many pictures of that on Instagram, to be honest, yeah. but, but I would. I don't care, you know. Do, do, do you think people are seeking this perfection and, and they think, well, if I can't be perfect, I'll not bother? Yeah, I think if people are seeking perfection it's because of that um trying to avoid judgment um from, from other people whoever that is uh, there's a guy that i follow called there's a guy that i follow called gary vinerchuk and um he's a great guy and, and i think it's, it's very important who you have around you who you're listening to what information you're consuming because it's so easy to dial into stuff that will just corrode your thinking all the time so you, you need to be you need to really protect yourself who are the people that you're spending time with? Who are the people that you're sharing your ideas with? What is the information that you're consuming? I don't listen to the news. Um, I would never share an idea with my dad. You know, I love my dad. I respect my dad. I'm grateful for everything he's given me. I would never tell him an idea I'm about to go ahead with. He will tell me everything that's going to go wrong with that. And it's because he's saying that to protect me from failure and maybe from protect himself in some way from failure as well. Um, so I think that people are, People are afraid of, of trying things fundamentally, but Gary Vee asked this question, which is, it's not what you're afraid of failing of, it's who are you afraid of failing in front of? That's the real question. Who are you most afraid of failing in front of? And so is it your father? Is it your wife? Is it your kids? Whatever. And once you've identified who that person is, it's then about having a frank conversation with them to say, look, this is the thing I'm trying to do, or this is the thing I want to go ahead and do, and I'm really afraid that if it fails, then, then I'm going to get judgment from you and how you're going to perceive me. And very often, it's not really there. Like, if I said that to my wife, she's like, no, go for it, be fine, I love you. You know, whether we live in this house or this house, I don't care, let's go for it. So very often, it, it, it's made up, in our, made up in our mind and we, we build this story that we tell ourselves, Martin, as to why we can't go ahead with it. And to get any idea off, my office is here at the airport in Doncaster. And you know, any aeroplane getting off the ground, any rocket taking off, and you, you mentioned Jeff Bezos, and obviously there's his rocket this week, um, any vehicle getting off the ground uses the majority of its fuel to get off the ground, okay? Yeah. So if this plane is flying to America, it's going to use the most of its fuel just to get off the runway. It's easier after that. A rocket uses most of its fuel to get off the ground, to break through the atmosphere, to get all the way to Mars. It's easy after that. 
Skirt, and so skirting around the top is barely anything, isn't that's it? That's it. So yeah. that you're absolutely right, but we have to, you know, use all of our energy and protect our energy. Energy is finite, time is finite, energy is finite. We have to protect that as much as we can in order to take our ideas forward. And do you think, James, you've got a great saying as well that I, I, I'm not going to say it's your saying. I don't I'm sure I've stolen it. I'm sure, I've managed to steal it and forget where, where I've stolen it from. Yeah, but, it, but, but I've, I've heard you use it so often that, 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 that I now just think it's yours. So, yeah. And you, you've got the saying version one is better than version none. Correct. And, and, and do, do you want to just explain what you mean by that? Yeah, sure. So I've got my iPhone here and I don't even know what version I'm up to. Version 12.13. I don't know what it's up to, is it? I don't know. Anyway, but so it's, it's still not perfect as a phone, but it's like 12 point, let's say 12.8, right? Version 12.8. But they didn't wait until they got to version 12.8 before they released it. They got it out the door at version one and then they iterated it and improved it and got it to version 1.1, 1.2, etc. And they got it to the point that it is now and it's constantly evolving. Um, and to my mind, you've got to get it to a point where it's just workable and you can get it out the door. And the reason why I'm a big fan of getting it out the door is the moment that you do that, you invite other people to feed back into it. So when I wrote my book, best-selling author, James Ashton, um, when I got my book out there... I've got my copy here, but I don't need to pull it out on screen now. Thanks, James. You've <laughs> saved me that job. You've got so, a version on the shelf as well. Oh, we can see that one's well-placed on your shelf yes, as well. Oh, yeah, it just happens to be there. Um, so but when I first when I got the first draft of it done, I knew there were going to be typos in it, but I opened it as a Google Doc and invited 50 people who I trusted from our the GoPoza community to come in and say, do you want to first go reading it? Well, they gave me so much amazing feedback and they resolved it. Now, I could have spent another three, four months trying to iron out everything in it. But when they did it for me, I've now got 20 people in there helping me, but they also made some great suggestions like, James, I don't think you've elaborated on this enough. I think you need a, a, a this. I'm really interested in this, and you've cut this short. Can you explain this in more depth? Or I don't think this is quite clear enough. I think you should, you should go the other way around. Same with Go Proposal. You know, when we got it, we got it to a point where we got it out the door. We got it working in one accountancy firm, then another accountancy firm, and then it's like let's get it to a point where it kind of works, and then let's go. And then when you've got 50 50 firms now feeding into it, well, could it do this? Can we have that? All of a sudden. It just takes on a, a, a life of its own and it really grows. So people hold things back and you have to be very aware as to why you're holding it back. And this concept of minimal viable product, you have to have in your head what, what really is a minimal viable product. To my mind, it's enough to solve a problem and for me to be able to sell it and someone start giving me money for it. That's it. So if I can get it to a point where someone says, okay, I'll give you 100 quid a month for it, sweet. That, that is the point when I need to go. But people, they have this bigger vision of what uh, the, the minimal viable product is, and it, but it's not really a minimal viable product. It's the point that they think that if they can get it to that, they can avoid judgment. You are never going to avoid judgment, so you might as well get on with it much earlier. Yeah, I actually wrote down minimum viable product on there. So I, I, that, that must be something that you made up as well. And isn't it? I'm, I'm sure there's a pretty good book on that, but I can't remember what it is. And I don't yeah. that's not your book. I'm sorry. <laughs> your book's great, but there's I, I read another great book on about getting to that minimal, minimal, minimal viable product, you know. Yes. Um, d d d James, you've touched on um, just very briefly there. People might not have picked up the subtle mention of your book there. Um, did you ever think 
that you would be traveling around the world speaking to room, rooms full of accountants? Um, no, that was never part of my vision. I, all... as, a, as a little boy growing up, that wasn't... Yeah, um... That was my dream. That was my poster on the wall. No, I had a poster of Arnold Schwarzenegger on one wall, Rambo on another, and then dream cars, of, um, a Porsche 959, Ferrari yeah, Testamossa, yeah. and Lamborghini Countach, is it pronounced? On the other wall, that they were my dreams. Of, of course, you did. That's exactly what I had. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. On on and Stallone, that was like the that was the like massive film jewel, wasn't it? It was like yes. who's gonna who's gonna be the best, you know? Yeah, that was it. No, I, I've always I always kind of liken myself to Forrest Gump, so I've always <laughs> just kind of gone with the thing that I've that's felt right and that I've enjoyed. So at school, I loved design. It was the thing that I was into the most: designing things and making things and stuff. And I won a competition, but with the local Rotary Club, and um, a guy came to me there, and I don't know who he was, and he said, "You should study product design." He said, um, "People will try and talk you out of it, but ignore them and go for it anyway." And I'm like, "Okay." So then that was my that was the entire uh, decision making process for what degree <laughs> I went to do. That was the so, career's advice in total. That was it. That was the end from, of the, it. from the system, it was from some random guy you met. That was it, but it felt it felt right. You know, I liked doing it. Yeah. it. seemed right. Then I went to university. I didn't like the university I was at. And a guy said, well, I'm going to Sheffield University. This is good. I said, okay, I'll go there. Went there. Left, did a master's degree. Left university. Didn't quite know what I was going to do for cash. And my dad said, um, oh, they're advertising for art teachers at a local prison. I'm like, all right, I could do that then for a bit. Earn some cash. So started working in... Um, prisons teaching art and meanwhile I used to be a close-up magician I learned how to do magic right and my mate said um, his parents they live next door to Liam Gallagher in London and they literally have a semi-detached house and one half was their house the other half was Liam's house and they, they had a top floor flat and they said he said why don't you come down and stay in the flat it's only 50 quid a week you can be a magician in London I'm like yeah right so I went to London became a magician in London and so that that was kind of my my story really but like it felt the next thing would feel right and i would go ahead with that and i ended up setting up a business a, a marketing company um ended up then becoming a business coach and working with different businesses and i just genuinely followed my passion and what was interesting and where i felt i could serve people and help people and and things that would inspire me and then eventually was in a room with an accountant who had a problem and i said i think i can solve this one for you yeah yeah and then he moved into his attic and then oh no 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 um just just obviously work with accountants a lot then and um people keep calling me an accountant just just once and for all for everyone i'm a chartered tax advisor i'm not an accountant i'm okay. we're, we're much more dull than accountants <laughs> um what what, what 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 do you find the biggest challenge with the accountancy world is then because I, I always find that accountants, it's kind of drilled in at a training level to be pessimistic and kind of like not overvalue things. And and do you find that then transfers into how they run their business as well? Yeah, I think that um, accountants by their nature, I think, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but they want everything to be perfect and they're always looking for what's wrong, right? And that makes them great at what they do. Like if I give you a set of accounts to review and need you to look for everything that's wrong with it, and I need you to make it as close to perfect as possible. Then what happens is, so you've been trained as a tax advisor or as an accountant or a bookkeeper or yeah. whatever people are trained in. 
they then go and set up a business and it's the same with any business um, owner martin so let's say for example it's a plumber a plumber will be great at plumbing and then all of a sudden they, they're working for a boss they, they don't like him they think oh i can do this better myself or whatever the story is right and eventually at some point they decide to set up their own business okay but then they're an expert at what they do but then they have to learn all this other raft of skills as well so they have to learn well okay now I can do my plumbing, but now I have to invoice them and I have to get paid for it. And I have to now recruit some staff. Then I have to find some customers and do this marketing stuff. And what's all this legal business as well? Terms and conditions. And so they, they have all this stuff that they have to learn, right? And every other business can put their hand up and say, a plumber can put his hand up and say, I've no idea about my, I've no idea about accounting. Can someone help me? I've no idea about marketing. Can someone help me? The problem with accountants is, is they're in the professional services business. So you have to give the impression that you know what you're talking about and that you know how businesses run and that you, you know, you know, you, you have this perfect facade. So you can't put your hand up and say, do you know what? I'm a good accountant, but I've no idea how to price properly. I've no idea how to sell my services. I've no, so you have to kind of quietly ask for that help. And it's, it's very difficult because you kind of break this image that you've got it all sussed out. And then when you do get into it, because you're then looking for what's wrong because you're in accounting mode or a tax advice mode, you then look at naturally looking for what's wrong and you want it to be perfect, which is why you don't get version one out of the door because you're waiting for things to be perfect. And so there are lots of things that need to be challenged and broken down. But the reason why I love this space is that, you know, everyone I've met, they're just genuinely caring people. They just genuinely want to help. They genuinely want to serve their clients and, we obviously give them the skills and the tools to, to be able to do that to higher levels, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you, you make a really interesting point there and I've never really thought about it, but I can't really as an accountant put your hand up. Um, and there aren't many professions, probably the legal professions in the one where there's an assumption that you know everything, yes. but, but even a brain surgeon can openly admit they know nothing about anything else. Correct. But, but it doesn't seem to apply. There was a great book I read about um, power frames, and and and, and 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 it was interesting because I found I found it really good at the time, and, it, and yet I didn't apply it to to our profession. And the idea is that if you go, uh, you know, a, a, a golf coach or golf pro can go to see his doctor, and he fully expects that the doctor has the power in that conversation. He's the expert at that time in that context. But the next day on the golf course, the doctor is completely in the hands of the golf pro and the power is with the golf pro because it's their field, you know. And, yeah. and I thought it was really interesting in any conversation. And it's about how you should use that when you're trying to give advice. You need to remember you're the one who knows your topic. Um, but it's interesting that I've never really applied that to accountants, assuming that they have to know everything about everything rather than yeah. just asking for help. I've never really, yeah. yeah. How, how would you help people? I mean, do, is that something you can easily shake out of people than James, or do, does it is it hard one? No, it, it's it's hard, Martin. Um, and I think you know we, we all have this baggage that we we carry with us that's kind of instilled in 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 our mindset from being a child, and it will be by your parents and by your teachers and by society and by the news and all these things, and they they just shape us. In, in different ways and it can be as subtle as a word that a teacher said to you you know like I can think back to teachers that said horrible things to me and you can think the same thing and and, and the moment someone says to you 
stop being stupid, Martin. And then you ask yourself the question, am I stupid? And then all of a sudden you form an agreement with yourself. And then that agreement then over time becomes a belief about yourself that you are, I'm not saying you are stupid, but that maybe that you are stupid, right? And then we have all these agreements that we've established with ourselves that become part of our belief system. And then we try to go into business and we have, and we don't realize it's all these beliefs that are actually preventing us from making the decision. So you could have a belief that is, um, I want to, I want to help people, want to give people the most value we can. Okay. want to serve people. Okay. Brilliant. And then you also have this belief, which is, but I hate selling. Oh, I never want to be a salesperson. Cause I met that sales guy once and he was an idiot and I hated him. And you know, so I, 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 so I don't want to sell. So I want to give all this value, but I don't want to sell. Beautiful. So you've now got two beliefs that you hold to be true that have now locked you in place. One's taking you in one direction, one the other, and now you can never move forward. And it's to unpick that is a very difficult thing. And something that I've always been interested in is kind of practical psychology. Like what is really going on in your, in your thinking, in your brain. And I've just done a piece of work with a, a group of accountants. I took 50 accountants one month and I took 50 accountants the next month and showed them how they can increase their revenue from existing clients and you know you could replace accountants with any word i could take it, it wouldn't matter what it is i've done it in different businesses in different industries i could show a, a business owner how you could make more money from your existing clients i talk about this idea that and so i'll, I'll broaden it from accountants but that you sat on a diamond mine so every business owner if you've got a handful of clients and you've got started you are sat on a diamond mine in that you could go and find ways to serve clients to much higher levels, to significantly increase fees, to do far more for them, et cetera. And we're all looking for these diamonds. The problem is, Martin, diamonds don't look like that. Diamonds look like this. They look like big lumps of rock, right? With sharp edges that cut you and hurt you and are dull and are rough and are covered in muck and dirt and have to, you have to pull out of the ground, right? And so what happens is you want a diamond, you're looking for that. All you're seeing is this. Therefore, you don't think you have any. So you go in search of these and you never find them. And what we have to do is we have to be prepared to get down, find these, find just a little sparkle, just a little glimmer in there and be prepared to brush off the dirt, to polish them up, to shape, shape them up, knock them into shape and turn them into these great clients. And to be able to do that requires a tremendous amount of you unpicking your thinking about all your beliefs. And this process that I've, I've took these firms on, you know, it was like a, it was like four, five weeks, I think we did it over. And it was like an hour, an hour and a half training every single week. And it was only in the final session where I showed them how to actually go and make the sale. Everything up until that point was unpicking their thinking about the beliefs about selling, about themselves, fear of judgment, and making assumptions, all this stuff that I just had to unravel in their heads before we could even get onto the practical stuff. So people say it's like 80% psychology, 20%, you know, the practicality of it. I think it's probably even weighted more heavily yeah. towards psychology. Of course, as soon as they say salespeople, if you ask someone to draw a salesperson, they'll probably draw Swiss Tony off the fast show or something like that, won't they? And they'll just, or, or they'll draw the guy who, robbed them when they were doing their double glazing or the, yeah. the you know the classic as i say the swiss tone used car deal or something like that um but but most people don't realize that every interaction with anybody is a form of sale if i want my kids to 
and I think you've touched on this in the past as well, but I want my kids to do something. I've got to persuade them that doing it is better than not doing it. I don't just say, I, I can't just make them do it out of authority. I've got to encourage them to do it, right? you know, and that's the same with everything. And, you, you, and the problem with accounts as well, of course, is they is the tend to hunt in packs. So even if you can get one, one persuaded, they've got another five or six around the table telling them that they're still stupid and that will never work. How, yes. how, 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 is that common in other businesses or, or, or do you find that it's 100% a professional it's, it's, thing? No, it's, 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 a really, it's a real tough thing um, in that it's not just about your mindset that's got... A, so you, in order to move forward with anything, you need the map and you need the mindset. And so the, the map on its own isn't enough. And look, go and go, whatever your problem is now, go and Google it. You, you'll find a process for solving your problem, whatever it is. Whatever business you're in, you know, if you're a pub and you want to know how to make more money now, go and Google how to become a more profitable pub and you'll find the answer. But we've got, so we've got enough maps. But the reason you won't necessarily do that is because of the company mindset. So you have to get your mindset aligned with that map. And that requires so much effort and, and work. And not just your mindset, as you just mentioned there, Martin, but the people around you's mindset as well. And so in terms of your company, you need a collective mindset. What is the mindset of our business and how we're moving forward? And that's when we kind of get into kind of the area of culture. And we need a culture which, to my mind, is, is the collective mindset of that business, the collective standards, the belief systems of that business, your first principles that you, you fall back on. And the way that we shape your culture is with your a set of core values, you know, and, and that's going to help to, to shape and, and to guide that. And then if people aren't on board with that and they're not prepared to be, you know, to subscribe to those values and to contribute positive, positive to that culture, then either I'm going to work with you and help you to understand that so that you can fit with it and contribute to it, or you're going to go, I'm not going to put up, put up with it. It's not fair to every other member of the team. And we've let people go. I've let people go after a week. I've let people go after a day. I've let people, you know, even further into their, their journey with us. And we've got lots of processes to make sure that we do have the right people. But maybe when you started your business, you, you weren't of that mindset or you weren't aware of these things. And now you realize that you're, you know, far on in your business journey, you've got someone who's actually a very toxic person. You know, you have people who are, I kind of describe it, you have people who are kind of pushing the rock up the hill with you. And if you could just get everyone behind that rock and pushing it, it would really help you. But you have people actively pushing back down on the rock. And, and, and the, these are the worst ones, mine. This, in fact, I'll come on to the worst ones in a minute. The, so you have the, the ones pushing it back down. I don't think they're the worst ones because you can spot them. You, can, you, you know they're, they're there. You, yeah. you, you can see them and have a word with them and Correct. try and encourage them to come around your side. Yeah, they're deliberately against everything, right? Then you have the people who stood watching everyone else pushing the rock up the hill, saying, well, it's not my job to push the rock up the hill. I work nine to five. You pay me 15 quid an hour. It's your job to push the rock up the hill. That's what I expect. Yeah, they wouldn't last long either. Um, but then you have people who have the, these are the ones to watch. They have their hands on the rock, but they're not doing anything. If you took them away. They're, they're groaning, but they're not pushing. Yeah, they're there, not doing anything. And they, these are the yeah butters. So they say yeah but. And a yeah, but is just a no in disguise. So the no's are the people pushing back down. No, we're not doing that. The yeah, butters are the people who sound like they're saying the right thing, but they're not. They're just no's. They're still no's and they're not doing anything. And what they slowly do is they kind of have a word with the people next to them. Why are you pushing so hard? 
Why do you agree with this? And you just find these people and they have to go. And we've had it in our accountancy firm. We've had it a little bit in GoProposal. We, we, we're pretty, because we're a relatively young company, we kind of spot that earlier on. Um, and then again, Martin, not, not only in your business, but people in your life, like people who you do life with, like your, your partner that you do life with. And then people who come around and you've either got to remove people from your life. And this seems harsh. The 7 billion people on the planet, like just find better people to spend your time with. I know that seems harsh. Or if you can't get rid of them, if it's your mum, you have to manage them, okay? And you have to manage those interactions and be very careful what you reveal to that person or what you share. So with people like that in my life, I tend to just sit and listen to them and I'll ask them things. I will be very guarded as to what I will um, will, will, will share with those people. It, it, it's funny you mentioned earlier about, um, you said two things that I, that, that I want to touch on, maybe three. And we'll see where else we'll go anyway. But you mentioned about you, about you don't ask your dad certain questions. And I learned quite young the same thing. You know, I mean, classic kind of northern working class council estate upbringing where there was never any expectation. Um, I mean, my dad said, just go to school. That's it. There was no, like, go to school, try hard. You just, you just It was almost just make sure you're out the house all day. Um, it was a bit more than that. And, and, and I, you know, I don't want to paint me down as a bad person because he wasn't. It's just, that was the society I lived in. It was just, you know, just go to, go to school. That was it. Um, and, and it was fully expected that you would just get a job at, you know, I don't know, on the, at the local factory and just, that was it. You were sorted. You were, you were, you, they'd done their job as a parent, you know. Um, but I learned quite early that, because he'd always had that environment, and 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 I was I kind of I was the kid who went to work across the river in Newcastle from Gates, if you know, and it was just different world altogether. Um, got new ideas into my system, and, and then I started bouncing some of these off him and the rest of my family, and it's it's like, oh, that, that that'll never work. That's a load of rubbish. No, no, that's wrong because and and it was very hard kind of breaking out of that, you know. Um, and I sometimes talk, people talk about this mobility issue within, you know, social mobility within the, within the country. And I'm not sure it's, I, I'm, I'm not sure that there's a physical barrier. I think it's, it's just something, it's, it's the no buts. It's like, oh, I'm thinking about doing this. Oh, well, that's a great idea, but it's like, oh. And actually, I think sometimes if we're just a bit more encouraging towards each other. Yes. The people around you would do great things and they would, and it would bounce back and you could do great things as well. That's right. And, and when you look at why they try and get you not to do things and why they say that, it's not actually to protect you. And if you get into the psychology of it, it's to protect themselves. So I'll give you an example. So my dad, I remember my, my son climbing on the worktop. He's only young to get the biscuits out. And I'm like, I encourage that. Like, I, I'm not going to get you biscuits. If you want to get your biscuits, you climb on the worktop and you get them out yourself. So he's swinging off the cupboards. And my dad actually said these words, Leo, Get down from there, because if you fall, you will die. They were legitimately his words, right? Not you may hurt yourself, not to kind of explain the, the, the these are the risky parts of this, what you're trying to do here. This is how you need to protect yourself, et cetera. But blah, 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 you will die. And so, how, how tall are your cupboards in, James? Just, <laughs> I mean, these, what, like 40 just, foot cupboards just on, normal spikes worktop. on the floor? Or... <laughs> Stood on a worktop, right? Okay. So, and then you can look at that and think, well, he's saying that to be, to be kind. He doesn't want anything to happen to my son. And that's not the truth. The, the real reason why people say that is because 
what he's saying is, if anything were to happen to you, I love you so much. If anything were to happen to you, I wouldn't be able to cope. And so they do it to protect themselves, not to actually protect the other person, even though outwardly it sounds like they're actually saying that through their kindness, but they're actually, it's a very selfish thing to say because they're saying that I couldn't cope with you if, if anything was to happen to you. And it's the same within, within business or, or you know, people pursuing their dreams or their ideas, which is, no, don't go and do that. Let, calm it down a little bit. And it's because if, if they see you fail, they, they couldn't cope with your failure. That's what they, they really think they're not. Otherwise, they would actually encourage you to go and do it. And I remember when I was back, to, I was working in the prisons and I was encouraged. I had to go and do my teaching qualification. So I already had a master's degree in design. And then they wanted me to go and do a teaching qualification to teach art. So I'm like, okay. So I started doing it. And I just, but I always had this vision, Martin, that I was going to go and set my own business. I, always, I was always going to go and do it. And uh, I did my first year of teaching qualification, got all my, um, you know, tests and reports and assignments and all this stuff, stuff done. And I got to my final assignment I had to do. And I remember sitting in the kitchen and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. There's something stopping me from getting this assignment done. And it was just absolutely doing my head in. And my wife, Becky, well, loved to bits. And she, she came in, she's, what's up? I said, I, bet, I just don't know what it is. I just cannot bring myself to get this done. She said, look, I know you've got this idea of a business and that's great. But if you get this teaching qualification just done, just get this assignment done, you'll get your teaching qualification done. You'll always have something to fall back on. And it was those words just echoed in my head, something to fall back on. And she walked yeah. out the kitchen and I scooped up all the paperwork and I went into the back garden. We had a metal bin, chucked it all in, lit a piece of paper on the cooktop and chucked it in it. And she says, what are you doing? I said, I don't need anything to fall back on. And that was the, the thing that then propelled me into what happened next. Yeah, there's, 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 there's a lot to unpack there really, James. But, 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 but on, on, on the dad and the worktop counter thing, when you were first saying that earlier, it was almost, um, you could almost mistake that as that people didn't want you to succeed. But you're not saying that, are you? You're saying you failing would hurt them. So they're doing yes. it from a position of caring. Yeah. But it's like misplaced caring. Is that what you're saying? It is, but it's caring about themselves first and foremost. It's, it's from, a, if we were to really unpack it, it's a position of selfishness. It's that they, they couldn't cope with your failure, how that would project onto them or how that would then make them feel, you know. You, you, you mentioned um, you mentioned about the news earlier as well. I, I pretty much stopped watching the news early 2000, I think. Yeah. I, I, I got engrossed in it up to the election and just, yeah, and actually I realised that it was, it, was, it was probably making us more ill than the fact that I was already ill at the time. Um, what 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 was your reason for just packing in with the news then, James? Just you know, there's so many great things happening in the world. I know there's there's challenges and tragedies and stuff like that, but to just to focus on that all the time makes you think that that's all that's happening. And if you know, if you put the news on, you would hear things of murders and other horrific crimes and stuff. And you know, why should that be your focus? Because you know what they don't what they don't do in with, with news martin is they don't talk about the good stuff because they want your attention and uh, if i said to you you know hey martin if, if this is the headline it's going to be sunny for the next few weeks you have a great time you wouldn't buy the paper you wouldn't listen to the article you wouldn't buy the paper if i said to you martin 
the, the, the weather is going to get so hot, skin cancer is set to rise. There's four things that you must do in order to protect yourself and prevent yourself from going to hospital. I now need to know that information. That's the Daily Mail. That's how the Daily Mail would sell sunny weather. They will always find the negative angle because part of your brain is in your head is, is designed to protect yourself against a saber-toothed tiger. So we have this part of our brain that's been evolving for millions of years that's, that's fundamentally designed to keep us safe and news corporations are fully aware of that and they tap into that. So they're only ever interested in one type of story, which is the so one that's the that chip, just, isn't it? Is, is, that, is that the chimp paradox? They, yes. they, they're speaking to the to the old brain, not the modern brain. Is that correct? Is that... Yeah, and it's just not caught up. That old part of the brain has been evolving for so long, it's not going to catch up. So we just have to turn it off. Consume your own news. You know, you can go and read a book. You can go and learn something else. Or, um, you know, cons- there's so much great content online now. You can go and find a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever. And if there is an event in the world that is happening that is actually drawing your attention, you know, that you do want to learn more about. There are so many, you know, quality news sources that you can go to, people who don't have, a, you know, politically motivated agendas or whatever, and you can go and g- grab facts and learn about that event from the source, you, you know. But for me to stick my kids in a car and drive them to school in the morning and to be bombarded with horrific news stories of things happening, just not right. No, I, I, I mean, I mean, yeah. Many years ago, I stopped listening to normal commercial radio because the DJs in the morning are just one of the most irritating. Not, not all, some, some of the most irritating people you'll ever meet, um, and, 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 and then intersperse that with you know five minutes of bleakness. It's just that's 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 a recipe for disaster, isn't it? And, and that's you people spoke that... when you say to people, Martin, in the morning, I, I say it as a, to, to, as a joke to myself. You say, "How are you?" And the, mo- the majority of people say, not bad, not bad. I'm like, you're measuring. Like, like, the chance of you being alive is 400 trillion to one. And you're born into all these incredible things that are going on in this world. And the way that you measure how good you are is how not bad you are. Like, that is your measure of how great things are going for you. And it, Degrees I, of badness. Because not bad is surely good. Yes. Isn't it? We'll just that, say good. <laughs> But why didn't they say that? So I always say, fantastic, doing amazing, thank you. Like, yeah. woo! I like that, I like that. No, you're, you're right, yeah. It, it, that, that's the half half empty glass, isn't it? The not mm-hmm. bad is the half empty. Why not yeah. just say good? But but how, how, how do you fit that in though, James, with this idea? And I've only really became aware of this probably in the last six, 12 months. Have you heard of the term toxic positivity? about the idea that everyone pretending they're always so positive oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 is yeah, actually yeah. bad for you. Um, yes. And I'm always conscious when I'm saying to people, well, we should be positive. I'm not saying be positive. Like, I'm not, it's not like a forced smile. Yeah, what I'm yeah, saying yeah. is try and put a positive spin on things where you can. I'm not yeah. pretending there's bad things in life. I mean, yeah. how, 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 how do you, because you can't just make yourself smile the whole time. No, no, no. No, and, and that's not helpful either because that is just putting a facade up. And and I, I'm always very conscious with my friends. And I've got a lot of friends who are business owners as well. And I'll be like, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, great. And it's just like a, they've been to like all the networking meetings or they spoke to the clients. It's just like the default thing. And I always push back and say, is it? Is it? You know, not that I'm questioning that it's not, but I, I just want to dig. Oh, well, 
I have had this issue. Okay, cool. Well, let's talk about that. And and I I, I don't think it's helpful to be optimistic or optimistic or pessimistic. It's about being realistic and just being very aware of what is actually going on. Um, what's it called? I'm forgetting. All, I've remembered a quote from previously, and now I'm about to go into a new one now. But there's um, oh, the, the the Stockdale paradox. So the Stockdale paradox was Jake, Captain James Stockdale was in the Vietnamese War and he was a, a prisoner for seven years. And when he came out, he was asked, who didn't survive? And he said, oh, that's easy, it's the optimists. And they're like, what do you mean? He says, well, they were the ones that were saying, we'll be out by Christmas and then Christmas would come and go. And then we'll be out by Easter and Easter would come and go. And they died of a broken heart. He says, you, you've never got to lose faith or hope that you will get through this and that you will get to the other side but you have to be very realistic and practical about your current situation and what is actually going on. Now, there may be a requirement if it's a client saying how things go, yeah, everything's great. <laughs> and then you can go and cry to your accountant, right? And I think that's what, why I love accountants is because when they reveal the numbers to you, you can't avoid that. Then they're not necessarily pessimistic or they're not optimistic. It's just realistic. This is it. These are the facts. This is what is going on. And you can't hide from that. So you can tell me things are terrible. And sometimes I'll think things are, are going really bad. And Paul will be like, James, let's just have a look at the numbers. And you're like, oh, no, actually, they're great. And sometimes you can think you're doing amazing. Like, no, let's just have a look at the numbers. Ah, not quite doing as good as I thought. And so it's about being very, having real awareness yourself, Martin, about the current situation that you are in. And then being mindful who you're revealing that to. So it is okay say I'm doing great if it's because you don't want to. I say to my kids, don't tell people about your problems, kids, because half the people don't care and the other half are glad you've got them. So like, you've got to be very mindful as to who you are sharing things with. But I've got a group of five people who are very close to me who I can say, I need help, you know, and I'm not afraid to, to ask those people for help. I love that, don't, yeah. Half don't care, and the other half are glad you've got them. <laughs> yeah. just... the, only, the main thing in our medicine cupboard at home is a couple shut the hell up. So, um, this, this I'll tell you the story about positivity or practice, whatever you want to call it. But uh, about a year or so ago, school phoned up and said, um, Leo's feeling sick, he's green, you need to come and collect him. I'm like, right, okay, I'll, I'll turn up. So, I went to school and I said, and uh, they said, Do you want us to bring it? Do you want us to bring him out to you? And I said, no, I'll go in and chat with him. Because I thought, I'll know straight away if he's blagging it or whatever. And he looked a bit peaky. He looked off it, to be honest. So I went and sat with him. I said, have you been sick, buddy? He went, no. He said, I just feel a bit sick, Dad. I said, okay, no worries. So we sat in the hall, and there was a, a kitchen area. I went to the kitchen area, and I, I opened the bottom of the, the cupboard, and there was a, a bowl in it. I said, there you go, pal. Go back in the, in the class. Um, if you're sick, use that, and I'll pick you up at the end of the day. He went, all right. And I kissed him and off he went. I went back to reception. I went, are you not taking him home? I said, no. I said, I'm not teaching my kids that when you feel sick, you go home. I'm teaching my kids that when you feel sick, you grab a bucket and you crack on. I'll see you at 3.30. And he was fine. And we're always, you know, and that, so I'm not, in that case, I'm not trying to pretend that he's worse than he is. I'm not trying to pretend he's absolutely fine. I'm just being practical and understanding what is the actual situation here and then put in appropriate measures to address that situation. That's interesting, yeah, right, yeah, because 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 again, there'll be 
people might have just listened to that and thought, that's a horrible thing to do. Like, oh, what a horrible hit. <laughs> but 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 and, and, and it flashed over me and I, I thought, that's, where, where, where is he going with this? I was prepared to give you the benefit of the doubt because I know you're not an evil monster. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I, 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 I like, I like it. And again, that's the pessimist, optimist, realist. The realist is, yeah. I might be sick. I might not be sick. Yeah. Let's not let's not decide that it is definitely one of them before we get started. Yeah. It could be either, but at the minute it's neither. So let's see where the wind blows, kind of thing. That's right. But the way where I look at it, Martin, is what you know. If he goes and sets his own business up in the future, or he goes and works for someone else, or whatever, like there's no there's no time to be ill. You've just got to crack on with stuff, you know. Like, and you learn that as a parent. Like, you know, if you're hungover or you're poor, poorly, your kids. He never cared when I was ill. My kids never cared when I was hungover or when I was ill. They still wanted feeding. They still woke up in the middle of the night. Okay. It's just like, you've just got to get on with it. And it's just creating that, the right mindset is we've got to do what we can with what we have. And we've got to get through this. And, you know, obviously there's been very difficult times over the last 18 months. And I think it's really showed a lot of people's true colors. And some people have blamed obviously some businesses have gone under and there was nothing they could have done. Like they, they just happened to be in the events based business or wrong, wrong sector. Yeah. Wrong sector. Some sectors it was under, there was nothing you could do. And it's just smacked them. They're done. Okay. But then there's other sectors like pubs. Okay. And I know pubs locally who have branched out and started selling takeaway pizzas and then, and they've used it as an opportunity to make their pub amazing and train their staff. And now as soon as they've opened you there and I know all the pubs, they were doing absolutely terribly now. And they're all, you know, you can blame the, the situation for what's where they, where they are, or you can, you can use it as a positive to, to have grown and to have leapt forward. But everyone's faced with the same challenges. It's just whether you grabbed the bucket and decided to crack on and do your best with what you could, or whether you went home and curled under a, a duvet, or whether you pretended that everything's fine and I'm, I'm, I'm 100% fine. You know, the two extremes aren't helpful. The helpful one is let's grab a bucket and let's do our best. Yeah, I mean we 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 we've got examples. So from, from where I am, five hundred yard radius, there's probably ten cafes, you know, in a restaurant probably, um, and a few in a handful of pubs. And and it's interesting because you look at some of the cafes, and they've basically got their you know their retail grant, the assistance that everyone got in, in retail. And just thought, right, well, if I shave that in the right way, it'll pay the bills till I open again. And that was that was their master plan, was just, I'll do nothing at all and hopefully will open in time to save me. And yet we've got a client who um, w- 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 was basically a dining experience, never did takeaway in their life, never wanted to do takeaway. Um, the food they do is very fresh, very kind of like, it's, it's literally chopped and cooked, ready for you there and then. Um, and they've just opened their third. They've taken on two other lots of premises wow. since lockdown. And they'd only yeah. just started not long before that anyway. So yeah. maybe that helped them. I don't know. Maybe they didn't have 20 years of history that they had to change. But but the difference is phenomenal. You know, they've, they've, they've taken on two lots of premises and they, they did switch to takeaway because they had to. Otherwise, no money was coming in. Yeah. Um, but what they did is they thought, well, we'll we'll do, we'll do takeaway, but we'll do it 
awesome. We'll do really yes. awesome takeaway. Yes. And we'll just price it accordingly. So every they could only do so many deliveries the way they do their food. But every one they did, they made money on. Yeah. Um, they weren't competing with, I don't know, your local pizza shop. They, they did something different. Yeah. James, you've mentioned you've mentioned prisoners a couple of times. Then you, you mentioned about the prisoners of war, who the ones that died were the optimists. And I said that with a chuckle. I didn't mean it. It's just <laughs> I was thinking about the story. Oh, those prisoners of war. <laughs> it's hilarious. But um, but so you've mentioned prisoners there. You mentioned that you've that you've taught in prisons. Um, what did did you learn anything about the prisoner mentality? And 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 were they? Better or worse to work with than accountants. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great, uh, uh, certainly a great learning experience, and you, you meet all different types of people in, in there, and and like right down to category A young offenders. So some of the worst uh, criminals in in the country were there, and people serving life. Um, and so yeah, you certainly I've, I certainly learned a lot there. I learned a lot how to manage. A difficult group of people because I was relatively young at the time like 25 maybe and you've got a group of people who obviously don't want to be there and they maybe don't not want to be in the art class and I'm teaching them and trying to get them to do what I need them to do for their qualification or whatever and so I learned a, a hell of a lot about how to understand people and to positively influence people and you know I had some challenging moments as well um and had to stand up for what I believed and what was right and stuff. And it can be quite intimidating. And in those moments is when you define yourself. And, and so all, all very interesting, met some great inspirational people as well, who, and this, I think this is the main thing, Martin, who were able to do so much with such limited resources, like, like these guys, some of them were like ripped and just really fit, healthy, active guys. And I'm there looking at myself thinking, you're way fitter than me. I've got every gym that I can go and drive to there. And you've got maybe like half an hour in a gym every other day and you sell. Yet you're being so creative with how you're doing it. And I remember once I was doing a, a session with a guy who was a, who was a lifer. And the, 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 the class I was in, they weren't allowed scissors or any sharp implements. But he needed a circle cutting out of paper. And he had um, a piece of paper and a pen and something to draw around. So he drew around this object to create the circle. And he just kept drawing and drawing and drawing and going over and over and over the line. And he just carried on doing it. And after about a minute, the piece of paper just dropped out. I'm like, wow. And it, I thought it was amazing. Like he never had the scissors where most people say, I need, I need to cut a circle out of a piece of paper. I don't have scissors. They, therefore, I can't have a, a circle out of a piece of paper. But he used a pen to draw it and to take it out. And that was an, just a little spark in my head, which is that idea of do what you can with what you have, where you are, be focused on the outcome, be committed to what it is that you want to achieve and do everything you possibly can to get there. So yeah, loads of loads of amazing stories. I, sp I suppose that um, necessity drives invention, doesn't it? If you, if you want to do something and you can't just order something off Amazon. You can't just, you know, watch a YouTube video because you can't. Uh, you'll find a way to do something if you're creative enough, won't you? Hundred percent. And this brings me back to the quote that I've forgotten earlier, which is the reasonable man will adapt himself to the world. The unreasonable man will attempt to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends upon the unreasonable man. 
we have to be unreasonable in our pursuit of what we're trying to achieve. You can't be mean, can't be nasty, you don't want to hurt people or whatever. We need to be good people and, and we have to have the right intentions, but we have to stay focused on the outcome that we believe and that we want to achieve. And, and just because we hit roadblocks and things that prevent us from getting there, we have to do everything that we can to bend, manipulate, adjust, cajole, go through, go over, go round, whatever, to get to where we want to be. I like that, James. I, that, that's that's really good. Yeah, but let, let's go off and be unreasonable. And I, th I, I think I've, I've had you about an hour, James. And I think that's about all I can ask of busy people these days. Thank you very much. Um, I've, I've really enjoyed. I always like speaking to you. Um, I love watching your videos and, and reading your book. Have you, have you written a book? Or oh, sorry. Anything? Yeah, I did mention that. Sorry, James Ashford. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes, I, I forgot about that. We, we should have talked about that more. Um, but it, but it, I, know, I know it's the aim of accountants, it's called selling to serve, but it, it's a, um, there's a lot of mindset stuff in there. So if you're not an accountant, you could just in your head replace accountant with AK, plumber, solicitor, physio, whatever, and it yeah. still very much applies. The, 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 thing, the thing that um, very early on, when, when we first started speaking years ago now, I can't remember how long ago it was now, but probably four years ago, maybe oh, something yeah, like that. What, 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 one of the things you told me right from the start was about this, um, but who who you're compared against. And it's not about your competitors, is it? No. Service-wise, you're compared against the best levels of service out there. Well, there's two really, yeah. So one is who you're being compared to is anyone I want to choose to. So from an outward perspective, Martin, you're being compared to anyone that I choose to compare you to. So if I come to your, you know, your offices today, and, but yesterday I was in the Ritz and had an incredible experience with a maitre d' and the way they met me, et cetera. And then I come to your office in an Uber and I get to you and I'm not greeted in as nice a way as the maitre d' did. And you're not giving me my accounts on my phone as fast as Uber did on the way there. I'm comparing you to the Ritz and Uber. And that's up to me. I can compare you to whoever I want. So you have to aim to be world-class and to be the very best you can be. But internally, the only people the only company you're ever compared you should compare yourself to is your firm your business last month and all you're ever trying to do is be that much better than your business it's great to be aware of your competitors it's great to be aware of these aspirational companies but again do what you can with what you have and so long as you're incrementally improving your everything your business, your finances, your health, your wealth, your relationships, so long as you're incrementally improving them, no one can catch you. Uh, I, 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 I wanted to explore that diamond thing a bit more, actually, because if you hold up that gnarly thing there, yeah, that, that, that is a typical client. And it yes. doesn't matter whether you're an accountant, a solicitor, or a plumber. That's it. That, 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 that client wants to do things its way, doesn't it? Correct. It's just, this is me, tough. You get, you get me like this. Yeah. And I presume the, to continue the analogy there was it was, well, we want you to be this, though. We want Correct. you to be the perfect client operating the way we want. Yeah. yeah. But that requires work and graft and effort, you know, yeah. and that's your responsibility. And that's when these people are saying, yeah, my clients are shit. And it's like, no, they're not. You've just not done the things you need to do to make them great. You've not had the conversation. You've made assumptions. You know, you've not yeah. done what you need to do. Um, and it's, it's a lot of mindset stuff. So, yeah.
Yeah, that's good. I'll, 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 I, it's not by chance that you've got those on your desk there in front of you. Presumably. No, because I've been doing it throughout all these these talks, but they're just handy to to have there. Yeah, and it's same yeah. same with not just clients as well with staff. Like you can have a yeah you know a gnarly member of staff, but they it's because you've not spoke to them to find out what the thing is that really motivates them. You've made an assumption that you just need to pay them more money where in actual fact, they just want to finish at 3.30 to pick the kids up from school. And if you can accommodate that, they'll be the best team member ever, you know, like whatever. There's, there's so many things, but it's a product, a client, a staff or whatever that we can turn into great things. Excellent. That, 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 that's a good place to finish. Thanks very much, James. Really been Thanks, great catching up. Cheers, pal. Thank you.